0: That Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field.
1: Pre-game party this Saturday night ahead of D.C. United's next match. Register at waltersdc.com to receive one free old-time logger.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: The line of the pitch, hit in the air, right center field, moving over Thomas Shading's dice and loses the ball in the sun. It bounces behind the backed up by Robles and into second goes Tobar. Breaking ball hit in the air to shallowed up center field. That's going to fall in for base hit. Cole has it on a hop. His throw in will be rolling all the way into the catcher Ruiz up the third baseline as Tobar scores. Nothing and one to Tovar. Gray fires. Swing a ground ball right side. It's grabbed by the ranging Smith at first. He'll turn back and go to the bag for the unassisted put out, and that's a nice job by Josiah Gray.
0: Given the chance to get out of trouble, he does so in the sixth inning here at Coors Field. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, April seventh, two 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Coors Field. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, how you view what happened with the Nats on Thursday perhaps says a lot about how you are viewing this national season. On the one hand, the Nats' hitting was horrendous again, and they fell to 1-6 with a one nothing shutout loss at the Colorado Rockies in Game 1 of a four-game series. On the other hand, Josiah Gray had a terrific bounce-back start despite pitching at Coors Field, where so many pitchers over these last three decades have gotten wrecked. So take from this game what you will. To me, the offense is what it is. I think that what went down with Josiah Gray is what mattered the most. But, you know, Mark, you are breathing that mile-high air. Perhaps that is influencing your thought process. I don't know. But how do you view, how do you frame what happened on Thursday?
1: I feel a little lightheaded right now, Al, to be honest. <laughs> um, I've covered a good number of games here, and they haven't all been blowouts. But it's the first time I've seen one nothing. And it's certainly the first time I've seen a game here played in two hours and 18 minutes. So for all those questions about whether the uh, pitch clock would actually have an effect at Coors Field or not, well, yeah, it does. Look, I think it's great what Josiah Gray did. I think he had success despite some issues with command, especially early on. I like that Davey Martinez gave him a chance to complete what he started and get through a sixth inning. All that's good in the bigger picture. But that said to not score a run, to not even have a guy in scoring position until the eighth inning, it's getting pretty frustrating. And while you can say, look at the big picture and they'll be fine in the long run if, if Josiah keeps pitching like that, these things do have an effect on a team's psyche. When you lose games like this, especially when the one run that scored was on a ball lost in the sun, another ball lost in the sun. So I don't know, I'm having a hard time finding a lot of silver linings with this one. And you get one run out of Josiah Gray, you got to win that game somehow, I think.
0: Uh, you'd like to think so. It may not be the silver lining. It is the gray lining, though, uh, to the game. And
1: Oh, there you
0: go. There you go, yeah. Well, look, I thought Josiah Gray, I mean, considering what happened in his first game of this regular season, like, I didn't know what to expect in this game, right? I mean, you're pitching at Coors Field. You know, you're coming off a game in which you gave up five runs in five innings, three homers, including solo homers, to the first two batters you faced. Who knows where he was at with his psyche? But to see him go out there on Thursday despite pitching at Coors Field and do as he did Encouraging. Good. And you know, you need to like find these positives to cling to as this team is, you know, off and running to yet another hundred loss season here. But Gray on Thursday, one run in six innings, six strikeouts. I mean, I don't think there's a Nats fan on the planet who would not have signed up for that going into this game. He generated 19 swings and misses. He did give up eight hits, but six of the hits were singles. And one of the two doubles that he gave up, as Mark referenced, was a Sun Monster double, a routine fly ball that got lost in the sun by right fielder Lane Thomas. Gray issued just one walk, did throw 102 pitches, did have some command issues, but he ended up throwing 64 strikes versus 38 balls. And you know, I thought it was interesting off the cutter, like not working at all in that first game. You only saw him throw the cutter six times in this game, according to StatCast. He threw a lot of sliders and the results ended up being good.
1: Well, and the impressive thing to me, and I think we talked about this the other day, that Course field is not the place to try to win with breaking balls. Traditionally, that has not worked because balls don't break as much at 5,000 feet elevation. But especially when he was not throwing his fastball for strikes early on, his first 10 fastballs were all out of the zone, and most of them were way out of the zone. He did what we've seen him do over the last couple of years and said, okay, I'm going to rely on my slider and my curveball. And he had success with it at probably the toughest ballpark in America to do that at. So that's actually a good sign to me that he is able to do that. I still don't know long run if he can be successful without having some command of his fastball. got better as the game went on. But I mean, there was not a lot of hard contact. It's not like he got lucky and there were some you know deep fly balls at the warning track. No, it was nothing like that. He was in control of this game really from the the start. The one run, like we said, it's not really his fault. I think it was one walk, so that's great. Uh, The six strikeouts are good. I like how he finished and you could tell he was encouraged by it and he should be. Now the key is, can he run a string of these together? Can he do it again in Anaheim next week when he takes the mound again? We'll see. But yeah, I mean, you go into this game and you're thinking, could this be another three homer game? Would not have shocked anyone if that was the case. Uh, The fact that he not only just kept the ball in the yard, but he really was in control of this start for the most part throughout and, and minimized. The damage. Uh, I think that's an excellent start for him.
0: The story with Josiah Gray over now, two plus seasons with the Nats is, you know, he will have bad outings, but then he'll have good outings. And the good outings always do enough to keep you interested and to keep you hopeful. You know, like I give him credit. When he's bad, he's been quite bad, but he's put forth enough good to where you still want to see more of the movie, you know, and you still are hopeful that the movie is going to turn out with a happy ending. Really liked what went down in the bottom of the first on Thursday. Gray had runners on first and second, just one out, then generated back-to-back swinging strikeouts of the Rockies' numbers four and five batters. C.J. Krohn, and Ryan McMahon. And when it came to that lone run that Gray did allow on Thursday, bottom of the fifth, he gave up a leadoff double with the word double in quotation marks to the Rockies number nine batter Ezekiel Tovar on a one-two pitch. But this was a double that was not a true double, should have been an out. Uh, Lane Thomas lost a routine fly ball in the Sun The ball dropped for what went down as a double, and then Gray gave up a one-out full-count RBI single by Chris Bryant to left field for a 1-0 Rockies lead. You, during Davey Martinez's post-game session with reporters on Thursday evening, asked him about these balls that are being lost in the sun. And I kind of look at this like the way we have looked at position players pitching. If it happens once, okay, fine. It's going to happen. You know, ha ha ha. It's not funny anymore. This keeps happening with the Nats. But, you know, I also was thinking this. I don't know what you do about it. I don't know how you practice that. I don't know how you get better at that. And what Davey said to you seemed to sort of echo that. When you're running full speed like that and the ball gets in that sun, it's tough.
1: Yeah, and I kind of felt stupid asking the question because it's like, what are you supposed to do? You lose a ball in the sun. Nobody's fault. There's a reason that's not scored as an error. And yet, this keeps happening to them. And while it did happen to the Braves a couple times on opening day, it did not happen the rest of the week. And you even had in the finale, you had Robles lose one. And then, like the very next inning, you had the Rays center fielder make the catch without any problem. So it's sort of like, okay, what are they doing that the Nationals are not doing? Now, on this one, this was particularly weird in that Lane Thomas said he knew that it was a problem on balls hit to his right in right field. And he'd even told Victor Robles, hey, If it's to my right, you be ready for it because I may not see it. And that's exactly what happened in this play, except he did see it up until the very last second. He said it was only as the ball's coming down that it got lost in the sun and you saw how close he was to catching it. I don't know. I just, I'm not going to fault them, but by the same token, if it was this bad, both teams are playing in the same conditions. Why is this only happening to them? Why is it not happening to the other teams? I guess the good news is now that, uh, you know, all the openers are out of the way, it's going to be a lot more night games. <laughs> and as you move into from April into May, the sun moves positions, you get mo- you a know, you few more clouds in the sky. So I don't think it's going to be an issue again until September, hopefully. But I mean, this is really weird for this to be happening this often to them and costing them as much as it is.
0: Maybe there's something new with the Earth's rotation around the sun. I don't know. But it is particularly pronounced this year, these problems – With the sun. By the way, you mentioned how that is scored. I know we've talked about this kind of thing before, but I do think it is ridiculous that a play like that goes down as a double. Like, is it a true error? No, but it's more an error than it is a double. Like, if you're trying to have accurate accounting of what happened in the game, a play like that, a routine fly ball that drops right next to the outfielder who lost the ball in the sun, if you have to put it under one umbrella, hit or error, it's much more of a hit than an error. I can't believe that we're still accounting for those plays as hits and not errors. That just seems ridiculous to me.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, that's the one earned run by Josiah Gray in this game. He didn't earn that. He did nothing to earn that run. He should have been out of there with nothing at all. So yeah, I've talked about before, like maybe you create the team error. So it's not like it's Lane Thomas's fault, but it at least goes in the register as not the pitcher's fault as well. This is the way it's been for a hundred years. And as we know, baseball is loathe to go changing rules that have been in place for a hundred years, unless it involves speeding the game up. And this one is not going to help speed the game up. So I think we're stuck with the cheap hit for the ball in the sun.
0: I mean, to me, you can make that change tomorrow. And like, I don't think anyone would have a problem with it. It makes perfect sense. It's not a hit. Stop counting it As a hit. Well, Josiah Gray did a very good job, so props to him. And while we're throwing bouquets at the Nats here, before we get to the negatives, Mason Thompson, man, does he look good. You know, the Nats only used two pitchers in this game. Josiah Gray for six innings, Mason Thompson for two scoreless innings with three strikeouts. He threw 25 pitches, 18 strikes versus seven bowls. Mason Thompson has been the Nats' best reliever so far in this regular season. And, you know, I'm not like going out on a limb and saying that. Three games, seven innings, just one run allowed, just three hits allowed, no walks allowed, seven strikeouts. This is great. He's throwing multiple innings, but he's throwing dominant innings for the Nats.
1: Yeah, I was going to say all three of his outings have been multiple innings, a couple of two innings and a three-inning outing. And that's a nice weapon to have. Now it's a matter if you're Davey Martinez of figuring out When do we deploy him? When are the right times? Is it going to be trailing by run, trying to keep the game close and get a couple innings from him? Is it going to be late high leverage spots? Do you say, well, he's this good. Maybe we just try to get him for one big inning late in the game and use him more frequently. I don't know. I think they're still trying to sort that all out. He does have the ability to be stretched out somewhat. And as we're seeing, he's having some success here. His slider in particular – Was really good. Five swings and misses out of the 11 sliders that he threw in this game. That's elite stuff there. You know, let's see. We want to see more of it, obviously, and see how his arm holds up. He has dealt with injuries in the past, but that's a very nice development here in the first week of the season. We talked about the bullpen being deep. He's not necessarily one of the guys we talked about. Certainly not part of the A bullpen, but he's kind of forcing his way into that. And maybe we're going to reach a point here where he has earned the trust of Davey more than some guys that we did think of as being a part of the A bullpen.
0: Well, if Kyle Finnegan does continue to struggle to the extent that we do have roles for Nats relievers, I know you've brought up Hunter Harvey as the potential replacement to Finnegan as the Nats closer. And that does make sense, right? Harvey has the great strikeout stuff. But If Thompson continues to roll, could it be that he ends up as the Nats quote-unquote closer or ace reliever if Finnegan continues to struggle?
1: I think it's intriguing, but I think it's also intriguing the fact that he does go multiple innings and is able to do that. So maybe he is ultimately more of the fireman, you know, throws a lot of heavy sinkers and sliders. You know, maybe he is the guy you bring in with two runners on in a tight game in the seventh get out of that jam and then bring him back for the eighth, something like that. I could see that happening. I do think if there's a change made in the closer spot, and they're not making that change, at least not yet. I think Hunter Harvey is the first option there, but it would be interesting to see if that didn't work out or if Harvey got hurt again, if Thompson could force his way in there. But I, I do wonder if Davey finds him more valuable as a multi-inning guy and says, okay, well, we're not going to do that. Now, there's an answer to all that. Be Goose Gossage and just pitch seven, eight, and nine. I don't think anybody does that anymore, but that would be, uh, you know, the way to solve both problems there.
0: No, I mean, nobody even thinks that anymore unless your last name is Espino. By the way, get well soon, Paolo. (laughs) He's on the minor league injured list. Uh, We got that news on Thursday. So, hey, with Paolo injured, Mason Thompson's ability to pitch multiple innings of relief uh, becomes of even more importance. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. As is always the case, if you need new windows and you want to upgrade the look and feel of your home, contact Window Nation. Tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and get yourself a great deal on outstanding new windows. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. But Wanted to let you know about this. This week is Window Safety Week. And so today is a great day to ensure that your windows are working correctly and you can call Window Nation for help. Uh, Window Safety Week serves as a way to raise awareness of what parents and caregivers should do to help keep their homes and families safer from the risk of accidental falls or injuries through windows. On the Window Safety Task Force social channels, uh, social media posts are tagged with either Window Safety or Window Safety Week. Again, get yourself some great Window Nation windows by calling 866-90-NATION or visiting windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Gauldy sent you and have yourself a great Window Safety Week.
4: Hey, Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer and founder of the podcast, here to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to your favorites shouldn't be so stressful. That's why you should look into the GameTime app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake Concert this summer, GameTime offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, and more. GameTime is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: And now the pitch. Swing and a ground ball. Left side backing up. Trejo has it. He fires across to Crone and the game is over. Garcia... Bounces out to third to Alan Trejo on the first pitch. And it's a very quick one, two, three, ninth inning. And a save for Pierce Johnson as the Rockies take game one of this four game series and do, in fact, shut out the Nationals for the first time this year. And the Rockies pitching staff posts its first shutout.
0: Well, as good as the Nats pitching on Thursday was. That's how bad the Nats hitting on Thursday was. So the Nats got shut out. They totaled a mere six hits, all of which were singles. The Nats drew just two walks. The Nats, for the entire game, had just one at-bat with a runner in scoring position. The Rockies' starting pitcher was Kyle Freeland. He actually has been pretty good for the Rockies over the years, especially as Rockies' starting pitchers go. But, you know, he's not like some dominant ace. And yet, Freeland on Thursday, six and two-thirds scoreless innings, five strikeouts. All of the problems that we already have become oh so familiar with with the Nats offense were on display on Thursday. But I tell you, something that is really emerging here is how bad the Nats are on stolen bases. The Nats in this game got thrown out on the base paths again in terms of an attempted stolen base. CJ Abrams top of the third, went out single to right, but he then was thrown out on an attempted to at steal the second base. The Nats now, in the regular season here, one for four with stolen bases. And of course, it's not just that. We this season have these new, bigger bases. The idea is that stolen bases are going to be up, and yet the Nats are one for four on stolen bases. What is going on here?
1: Yeah, they uh, lead the league in fewest bases stolen and most times being thrown out. That's not the Combination that you're looking for, certainly not with the new rules, and certainly not after you said all spring, hey, we're going to be more aggressive, we're going to run, we're going to use this to our advantage. Uh, yeah, not exactly. Now, some of this is a lack of opportunity when you don't have guys on base. It's hard to then steal bases. But when they are getting on base and trying to do it, they're not executing this well at all. And Davey talked about guys not taking big enough leads. He feels like they've shrunk their leads here over the last week, and I don't know why that would be the case. These guys are worried about getting picked off or something, but they need to be more aggressive there. Use that distance that has been shortened a little bit to your advantage. Get a nice-sized lead, and that could be all the difference it takes. They're not getting thrown out by a mile. These are all pretty much bang-bang close plays, but you got to take whatever advantage you can get, and then also understand when is the right time to go and when is it not. Yes, they're trailing a lot of nights, and so it's maybe harder to convince yourself to go and, and try to do it that way because if you do get thrown out, now you're just hurting your team's chances of scoring multiple runs. But it has been obvious and not something you want to see. If this team really thinks that it's going to manufacture runs, you better be able to steal bases and you certainly better not get guys thrown out on the bases. And It's not even our favorite culprit. It's not Victor Robles. It's C.J. Abrams. It's Luis Garcia. It's Lane Thomas. This has been a weird one as well. It's been a weird start to the season, obviously, for this team. I think it probably also falls under the category now of they're pressing. They're trying to make things happen that aren't there, and that's the last thing you want to do.
0: And I think what you just talked about is what really stands out. We know that this team probably isn't going to be hitting home runs. And so those runs that the Nats score this season figure to be, for the most part, of the manufactured variety. And uh, the uh, manufacturing plant isn't working so well so far with the stolen bases, A, not happening in terms of attempts, and then B, when the attempts do happen, the Nats not being successful. You know what I think another factor here may be? I feel like the science of throwing attempted base dealers out really has improved. You know, It now very much is emphasized to catchers the process by which you receive a pitch, get up, and fire to second base. We are seeing routinely now throws targeted to the first base side of second base. So second baseman and shortstop can do those swipe tag things where you catch the ball and you tag the guy on the back as he's sliding into second base. So teams in terms of their defense, I think have gotten a lot smarter and a lot better at defending stolen bases. But of course, again, you do have these new bigger bases. So like it's supposed to be, hey, it's right there for you to have more stolen bases. So I mean, that certainly should be better than one for four.
1: Right. And it would be one thing if the rest of the league was seeing a lot of runners thrown up. But no, it's an all-time successful stolen base rate so far this year, over 80%. So this has not been an issue for everyone. But I do agree, it's about the tags to me. I see more and more of these. It looks like the runner beats the throw, but he actually gets tagged before he touches the base because the second baseman, the shortstop, is catching it and tagging them on the back, on the helmet, on the rear end, on the feet sometimes. And that's actually more effective than catching the ball at the base and putting the glove down. I think Javi Baez was probably the first to really make a a habit out of that and other teams picked up on it. And it's definitely something that they're taking advantage of, but it does seem like National's opponents are taking advantage of it more than almost anybody else in the league.
0: Few other observations with the Nats' offense on Thursday. So, Jamer Condellario, did he get robbed of a home run? And I I ask it that way because it was hard to tell watching the game on television. He went one for four with a single. He in the top of the first had a deep fly out to left field for the second out. The Rockies' left fielder Juricksen Profar made a nice leaping backhanded catch on the warning track, but it was hard to tell. Could you tell, would that ball have landed for a homer, or would that just have landed for an extra base hit?
3: And now the pitch swung on, and Candelario hits it in the air to left field deep. It's carrying far back to the warning track at the wall. He leaps, and he makes the catch with his glove up near the top of the 8-foot fence.
1: I don't think it was going to clear the fence. On the replay we saw here from the Rockies broadcast, they had a side angle and it looked like it would have come up a little bit short. Although you never know, those tips off the glove, maybe it goes over the fence or hits the top of the wall and goes over. Uh, It was close. And, you know, that's a frustrating thing because you hit a ball well and in this ballpark, we think it's going to carry and ends up instead being robbed. And Profar had another diving catch later on. He robbed Garcia. Of a at least a single maybe a double in the second inning, you know Jerks and Profar was a late signing. It's his first home game here. He won over the crowd with this. When the Nationals were looking for a left fielder, he was available. Uh, I don't know specifically why he wasn't necessarily thought of highly on their list, but he wound up in Colorado and at least for one game showed the Rockies fans why you know he might have been worth it.
0: Mark mentioned Luis Garcia. He was back to being the Nats starting second baseman on Thursday, off having not started each of the previous two games due to the Nats facing a lefty starter. Garcia on Thursday, starting second baseman, number seven batter, one for four with a single. The single was pretty impressive. Top of the seventh, a two out single up the middle on an 0 2 pitch. Uh, Lane Thomas, again, was the number one batter, did get on base two more times, one for three with a single and a walk he has been pretty good but otherwise i mean there just really isn't much happening with this nationals offense joey manessis is off to slow start he on thursday 0 for 4 two strikeouts uh, cambert ruiz on thursday 0 for 4 with a strikeout you know nobody really is doing much of anything and you know davey is mixing and matching with the lineups and you know he is starting to move guys around but you know alex call was your number two batter on thursday you know Condelario has had a few hits but he's your number 3 batter on the regular here it's just hard to, in your mind, envision a realistic path by which the offense ends up being substantially better than what we're seeing. Like we've said, there will be stretches in which the Nats hit, but it just kind of feels like this is probably what we're in for, for the bulk of this season, this team not being very effective offensively.
1: Yeah, no, it, it does shake out that way. And I think we talked about it all spring, that this was a major concern going into the year. I'm disappointed in Manessis. I thought, based on some really good at-bats, on Wednesday in DC, I thought, okay, maybe he's starting to get it. And he really looked lost in this game. He, I mean, he was flailing at some pitches. He was taking pitches that looked like they were you know, obvious strikes and, and just letting them go. He hit a little weak grounder back to the mound at one point. Really not good from him for a guy that I understand that you can't necessarily count on him being what he was for two months last year. But I think we all acknowledge that like, he seems to know what he's doing as a hitter and have a plan. We just haven't seen a lot of that. He's not going the other way the way that, you know, he did when he was at his best. That part's frustrating. You know, back to Luis Garcia, the single on the O2 pitch was good. I like that. But he made outs on the first pitch a couple of times in this game. And I get it, you're aggressive, you want to be that guy, and if that's who you are, you don't try to be something you're not. But if you're going to put the first pitch in play, that's fine, but it's got to be a good pitch to hit. You can't be reaching. It can't just be, well, I'm able to hit this ball, so I'm going to. You've got to go up there and say, okay, if I get pitch X in this zone, I'm going to swing at it and I'm going to put good contact on it. And I wonder if he's not necessarily going up there with that right plan and instead it's like, oh, well, that looks like a strike, I'll swing at it and his contact skills are so good that he's putting it in play, but not for solid contact. So That concerns me a little bit. Abrams, you know, was all right. Two hits. That's good. He's still at the bottom of the lineup. Maybe that'll change at some point. But there's just not a lot going on there. And I I agree. I do think we have to, you know, resign ourselves to the fact that this is probably what it's going to be like for majority of the season. But that also underscores how when you get the pitching performance you got in this game, you got to take advantage of it. We're not asking here for an offensive outburst. We're asking for one extra base hit at some point. There were zero of them in this game. And that's really frustrating. Yeah. I mean, two
0: home runs over seven games. That is frightening. Two home runs over seven games. Yeah. It's interesting with Luis Garcia and the first pitch aggressiveness because we're seeing Lane Thomas do a lot of that. He's racking up a lot of his hits on first pitch swings, especially first pitch swings to begin games or to begin you know offensive portions of games for the Nats. And that approach for him does uh seemed to be working. You know, with Manassas, right? He was so great over the final two months of last season. And his greatness was at a level that made you think, all right, is he this great? Probably not, but he was so good that you say, all right, he must be at least decent as a hitter. You know, I, I mean it, it's important to remember, Joey Manassas last season, final two months, 240 plate appearances. Not, you know, a, a nothing happened in sample size. OPS plus of 165. He hit like an MVP candidate. So you say, all right, is he a 165 OPS plus guy? No. But can he be like a 110 OPS plus guy, something like that? You said to yourself, probably. I'd like to think so. And then he does what he did in the World Baseball Classic. You say, all right, like we're off and running here. You know, it's only been seven games. We understand that. But yeah, it's not just the results. His process doesn't seem to be great. You know, he looks like a guy who was a career minor leaguer and he never really looked that way last year not just hitting for power last year but we talked about it like going the opposite way he really came off like a professional batter over the final two months of last season he's not looking like that so far
1: yeah he looks lost at times and that that's the surprise i agree they're not really good professional at bats which is what we came to expect from him now i'm not going to write him off yet there's a lot of time uh, i still feel like there were good signs in that game the other day And you don't do that if you're not a good hitter. And I kind of feel like four games at Coors Field, he's going to figure it out here before long. And I I wonder if he's among those who is putting a lot on himself as well, for better or worse. He's kind of the focal point of this lineup, and that may not be fair to him, but it's the fact, it's what it is. And I wonder if he's feeling that pressure a little bit and now trying to do things that he can't do. So maybe it'll happen on Friday for him and for this team. You know, they had the one game where they jumped out to the early lead and it felt like, okay, maybe that'll allow everyone to relax and it didn't. Maybe it'll happen again on Friday, score some runs early and allow everyone just to go out and have some fun, but it's not happening so far.
0: Score some runs early and support the Nats starting pitcher in that game, Mackenzie Gore. You know, one of the nice things about the Nats rotation, the way it's set up here, you get back-to-back games with the two starting pitchers who matter the most right now at the major league level, Josiah Gray and then Mackenzie Gore. And Gore looked quite nice in his uh, Nationals regular season debut in that game a few games back there, that 4-1 win over Atlanta at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. One run, five and a third inning, six strikeouts would love to see him pitch well for a second time at as many starts here.
1: Yeah, and it's a big one for him to show that he can sustain it and can he have the success in this ballpark as well. We saw from Josiah Gray, the key here, you got to keep the ball down. That's when Mackenzie Gore's at his best as well. We know the slider is good. Maybe it will slide well here, but he's got to have a good effective fastball at the knees on the corners to set everything else up. But he conducts himself and acts like a frontline starting pitcher. And so I think he will take the ball for this game, feeling a responsibility to kind of be the stopper. Uh, I know it wasn't the pitcher's fault you know, in this game, but they're on a losing streak. They need to get something going well. And he may realize, hey, we're not going to score that many runs. So it's up to me not to give up too many, at least give ourselves a chance. I'll be interested to see how he handles that. But I've been impressed with him, not just the Performance, but just the mindset he seems to take with him to the mound. That's what you're looking for in a number one, number two starter.
0: No doubt. I mean, he was drafted to be an ace, and he does carry himself like an ace, and hopefully he pitches like an ace for the Nationals. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast. We're with you the morning after every Nationals game day. Email Tim Shovers. If you want to join the movement that is the Nats Chat Podcast, the email address again, NatsChatPodcast. Podcast at gmail.com you can find us on instagram at natschatpodcast you can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site all nationals radio highlights on natschat are courtesy of 106.7 the fan thank you to tim newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music visit timnewmark.com and newmark is spelled n-e-u-m-a-r-k for mark zuckerman i'm al galdi we thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
3: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast.